Traveling. My name is Greg Udelman, and uh, thank you all for joining. We're going to start with an introduction of who we are on the panel today and just introduce the topic. Um, today's topic is uh, an innovation mindset, and we're going to be exploring uh, what, what is innovation? How do, we, how do we all define it uh, differently uh, or similarly? Um, and what is an innovation mindset? What is that kind of individual or organizational perspective on how to activate innovation or what it even is to, to, to approach a challenge uh, or an opportunity from an innovation perspective and how to do that well? And then we're going to explore how to uh, activate this capability within an organizational context. And we have a few more questions in our back pocket depending on, on how the conversation goes. So I think uh, without further ado, we'll, we'll do a round of introductions and, and introduce the group. Uh, hello to all our participants. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be part of this panel. I'm uh, calling today from Germany. It's late here, so uh, so I'm just uh, very excited to, to, to get this conversation going. Um, my name is Asina Alic. I've uh, just recently joined Adidas about a year ago as their Senior Vice President of Strategy and Programs. And uh, prior to that, I had a pretty diverse career, uh, most recently with Boeing for about uh, last decade in a variety of the executive roles, anything from strategy and business development to uh, operations and finance. But innovation has been one of those things that for me uh, is something that I always pursued as an idea and a creation and a creativity and the implementation of ideas that allow my companies to stay relevant in terms of customer experiences. So it's a topic near and dear to my heart and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about this. Fabulous, Galen. Thank you. Um, I'm dining in from South Africa, also quite late for me, but I'm very energized to be part of this conversation because this is also a topic very close to my heart. Um, studied clinical psychology and anthropology, and that gives a layer of curiosity to life and people. Um, and I really believe that we live in exceptional times. We have more tools at our fingertips than we've ever had before. And the key question is, are we using everything that's available to us? Um, so I run a small consultancy called 33 Emeralds, and what we do is we try and stretch minds and comfort zones as well, and try and push in some, some disruptive thinking and, and use some very new practical tools, because we believe that uh, it is possible to craft a better working future, and more people are seeking to do that, um, and people want to craft better futures for the people around them as well. So that ties into one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot lately around innovation, and that's the purpose element. Um, so Andrew Ning, of, um, he co-founded Coursera and Google Brain and uh, Baidu AI, AI Group. He said the world has got an infinite supply of interesting problems to solve, uh, but also important ones. And he said he would love for us to focus on the latter. Um, and my view as well, especially being back in South Africa, which is the country of my birth, I spent a long time living and working in the UK. I think we have a lot of important problems to solve here, and I'd, and I'd love for us to enable our mindsets from a growth perspective, growth mindset, to try and solve some really important problems. So really pleased to be part of the conversation tonight. So thank you. So my name is Greg Udelman. I'm in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I am a co founder of the consultancy called The Moment. Uh, we build innovation teams and innovation capability within 
organizations that are working to adapt and be more resilient um, to changing conditions due to market and technological changes. And we focus on um, what we call innovation design, which is uh, uh, sort of a hybrid approach that would include what we would call service design. So designing new products and services using a human-centered uh, approach um, where we engage diverse stakeholders both within the organization along with clients, um, customers, et cetera, in the, in the design process. And then engaging also diverse stakeholders in the um, development and then towards the implementation. So as opposed to a traditional kind of a waterfall approach where different groups are making decisions in sort of silos and based on assumptions, we really try to have an agile process where assumptions are tested, validated um, among different stakeholders, and, and, and the input is, um, uh, happens from the get-go. And sort of another aspect to it is that um, we would try to build up this mindset and this capability within the organization. So there's a sort of a scaling thing that, that we try to do, starting with a small team and using the, the, the development and the empowerment of one team to then... Um, scale that out. So starting small and, and building from there and engaging senior stakeholders and, and, and up and across the organization. I think one thing that I've learned uh, about the practice in the last, let's say, year or so is along the lines, I was, I was going to talk about along the lines of um, stakeholdering. And so how to effectively engage, let's say, for example, senior stakeholders who tend to be quite impatient, tend to be um, very uh, sort of near-term results driven and also tend to have um, very solidly established assumptions about what they think is the right thing to do. And the sort of clash of that with innovation work, which tends to be ambiguous, tends to require a certain process in which the, the answers can be tested and challenged and they can unfold over time. So there's this kind of direct tension between how innovation work really happens and the mindset of many management and, and leadership folks in the organization. So we've been working a lot on, on, um, on sort of how to, how to handle that, how to engage people artfully, effectively along the ride and, and educate up and across the organization. So we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Asina. Asina, when, when we talk about innovation and, and you're at Adidas, uh, which is a, obviously a large company, and you've had experience in, in that, in that um, enterprise context. What does innovation mean? Can you hear me okay? You're cutting it out a little bit, okay. So, uh, you know, I think if we asked all of us and, and every one of our listeners, everybody would have a very different idea around what innovation really means. I think for me in particular, I can't speak, of course, on behalf of my company, but uh, for me in particular, innovation is around combination of creation and implementations of ideas so that a company can stay relevant to provide some value to our customers. And it's really the combination of two that I think it's key because, uh, you know, if we stop innovation and just creation, and that's where many companies obviously uh, fall flat, if we stop just with the creation, uh, then, then that's called creativity, right? And all of us are very, very crea creative. But having that process that then takes that creation into a new idea is what I call, is called what I call innovation. And, and, and really it's around developing something new 
something unique that our customers or stakeholders or whoever is going to use that innovation is going to, to, to find the value in it. And then, and then I go into, uh, you know, okay, sometimes innovation can be smaller, which I typically classify as continuous improvement, which has one way of, of how we implement it. Then, you know, true innovation, which I typically call like 10x improvement over, over something, something that we have today. Or, of course, the moonshots, you know, something that we're thinking it's quite impossible today, but maybe we want to be investing and thinking about going forward. And with each one of those, you know, there's different ways to engage with, 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 with people in the organization. It's different ways in which the organizations can create, and then you kind of go from there. So that's, that's for me, it's really just staying relevant in the ever-changing world. To you. Kylan, what about you? Well, how would you define innovation? I think definitely um, along the lines of uh, what Asina is saying, there is an element of uh, remaining relevant, agile, um, but also potentially, and, and I guess that's in a way a kind of incremental innovation, keeping a pace. And then also something about a radical innovation element, which is about making crazy ideas real. So changing something established, disrupting something. Uh, we tend to think in linear ways, and it's quite difficult for our brains to compute exponential difference and change. Um, and I think the radical element of that, um, of, of innovation, speaks to that. So it is an element of these things that, um, what we would call game changers, they just have these visions of futures or things that can be different. And most of us are thinking, where did that come from? It's a crazy idea. Could it really be done? So something about having a um, there's a, you know, how crazy is the idea? There's an idea and then something about getting it implemented, getting it executed, making the reality. So those two components, the creativity element and the implementation element, I think Asina was talking to. Um, in a, from an individual perspective, there is something around remaining relevant, but also, um, you know, because we have so many tools, new tools at our fingertips, what can we really drive and have, we can scale up our impact instead of just grow bigger or, make more profit, what's the real impact we can have um, and how can we innovate around that? So, yeah, that's what's in my mind of uh, associated ideas around innovation, lots. <laughs> yeah, I think some, some really interesting threads here that I, I wanna unpack in a moment around how does implementation happen really? And Ellen, you've been pointing at, at this, this notion of um, what should we be working on uh, in that sort of important versus interesting uh, challenge. So let's come back to that. Let's talk about the the before. We, let's talk about the implementation challenge. Now, Asina, you know I'm, what I've seen from my perspective. Uh, let's say about five years ago, there was this design thinking craze within many companies and and trainings and workshops and and um, a lot of the work was approached with a a very side of the desk kind of thing where you know the, the the concept was let's pull people together everyone has their regular job but we're going to pull them together into a room for half a day or an hour or a day and they're going to generate a whole bunch of ideas and then or we're going to give them a training in how to be creative or how to do design thinking but then i think we saw that not much happened after that because everyone returned back to their day jobs and there was no infrastructure or tools, or process, or capability, or know-how to take those ideas forward. 
So what, what have you seen, let's say, in the last few years as, a, as an evolution of this in order to enable organizations to, to start to, to implement? And if you have a particular story in mind to share, that, that would be great as well. Um, absolutely. I have uh, lots of stories. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I, uh, as part of strategy, I actually ran quite a few um, innovation hubs and intelligence organization and creativity organizations and things like that. But um, you're absolutely right. I, I, think, um, I think people tend to take a little bit of um, haphazard, a company take haphazard approach about innovation. And, and they, they say, we need to be more innovative. We need to be more agile. We need to be best in class. And, and I think it's the problem starts with being very vague and not very clearly specifying what is the solution? What is the problem that we're, to which we're trying to find the solution? And so just kind of giving these you know, generic statements, employees tend to not know what to do with that. And then there's a lot of research that suggests when you just tell people, just go innovate. We need to be, more we need to be best in class. And, and uh, you know, and so, so, so then, then they say, okay, let's just create. And people do. Everybody's very creative. We come up with so many ideas and then the organization doesn't know what to do with it. That's what you call, I believe, by the side of the desk. But, you know, I think what we need to do first as an organization and what worked well is, is specify the problem and then say, here's what we're trying to do. Um, how can we how can we do it better? How can we solve this customer problem? How can we solve this issue or this question? And um, and and then organization really needs to step in. And what we've done is we have committed that um, we're going to ask a few different questions, and we're going to ask for people for response. And those would span multiple functions, so that everybody feels like they can contribute in their own zone and area. Uh, because I don't think innovation is focused on just one particular element of the organization or a particular individual. I think it can happen everywhere. And then there needs to be a commitment. What I found works really well is there needs to be commitment from the team. Once we collect those ideas, what are we going to do about them? And so in my organization, we had committed that we were going to you know, review them and we're going to go back with to everybody, which actually takes some time. We're going to go back to everybody and say, what has happened to that idea? It's either um, has been approved or declined, and here's why. And, uh, and then we've committed to actually advancing a few ideas with almost kind of like a venture capital type approach, where we said we're going to be pretty ruthless about taking these proposals and picking the top few that we believe have legs. But then we're going to commit to providing a predetermined budget to actually provide almost like a seed capital to these small groups to go and test the proposal. Now, if you do it like you say, people already have their day job, it's not going to work, right? But if we give them even a small commitment of time, let's say 10% of their time to focus on the idea, we found that people spend a lot of their free time even on the top of that. If they're excited about the idea, if you're giving them the resources and there's a commitment of the organization to support it. So we were able to set aside small budget for these initial ideas and then if there was a proof of concept, almost like seed one, round one funding. Then there was a seed two or round two funding where some concept would be, um, would be tested further. And then finally, what we decided is, you know, each of those ideas that make it to kind of a round two, a seed two finance, there needs to be business unit owner 
that would ultimately take that idea and run it. Because in each of these stages, you know, things become really hard for this implementation of the idea. It becomes really hard to take these ideas unless there's somebody who's actually going to implement it. And, uh, and so there was a commitment from the leadership team and there was patience from the leadership team. I talked earlier about patience. There was a patience to see this process through, through kind of a series of rapid prototypes that we were able to fund and commit to funding. And once we did that and take the almost structured approach with the commitment of the leadership team, backed up with additional resources, both in funding and time, um, you know, the magic started to happen. It was, it was almost this element of pride of who is going to be in round one, who is going to be in round two. You know, there was this tremendous, uh, there was this tremendous uh, competition going on, and uh, it was fantastic. We were able to, uh, we were able to get some crazy, great and great ideas, and, and drive tremendous value to the company with a very, very small amount of funding. Um, but the key was it was a structured problem process. The problems were very clearly defined and the funds were available. And a lot of time organizations think you need a lot of funding in order to, to drive innovation. But I found that innovation happens if you do it right. You know, it can happen with a small amount of time and resources if we're focused into some kind of a rapid solution creation or rapid prototyping approach. Uh, that um, things can happen very fast, very quickly, very cheaply. Galen, I'm curious, do you have a, a perspective on, you know, Asina was talking about um, th this kind of stage gate model and then teams are, are given some time and some budget to, to develop something. What would those teams need to be set up for success? Mm. Um, I do actually have a perspective on it. It's one of the tools that I work with. Um, it's called the GC index. And what, um, what we've managed to do is we've managed to uh, identify game changers. Um, so these people who drive really radical innovation um, and they're characterized by um, having crazy ideas, which I mentioned earlier, but really having this almost an obsession to drive them through. So we recruit them into our organizations and we hope that they're going to drive these, um, drive innovation. And then what happens is that somehow they don't melt into the organization well because they don't take people with them and the, the ideas seem too outlandish. Um, some research was conducted in 2015 into the DNA of the game changer, but also into the other roles that actually help innovation to happen. So um, if we look at some of the other roles, polishers, so these are the guys who see better futures, but it's a more incremental innovation. Um, a strategist who makes sense of, puts the business case behind things. Um, an implementer who gets things done, high action, energy people. And then a playmaker who really has a good sense of the people element and um, allowing other people to shine. So. What we find is if we, um, if we assess people on this index, we get a sense of how they like to contribute to innovation and everyone has a role to play. So if you start to form teams where each individual is aligned to what they actually want to do, because we like to push people into things that they are good at, not necessarily what they want to do. Um, if we compose teams in this more holistic way, you get people energized by what they're doing and they're driving in the right elements and the team is more balanced. So we can harness, um, ideas, um, put the business case behind them, make sense of them, um, action plan them, get them implemented, perfect them, put the quality stands behind them, and then also the playmaker is the person kind of making sure that you have the right elements of those team and the people are energized in the team. So it's a model that works 
quite well because people are showing up at work and, and contributing in ways in which they really enjoy. Um, um, yeah, so that speaks to the, the idea generation plus the actual execution because not every idea is going to make it. Um, or as they say, you can have ineffective and effective ideas for that particular point in time and not good or bad ones as such. So I find that very effective um, of way of, of looking at composing teams and, and spurring innovation. Yeah. In a minute, but I just wanted to re respond, you know, with, with a um, perhaps a provocation. I, I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen is as a risk is let's say you, you get the senior leadership team to buy in, you have some budget, you have some, some time you know, given to these teams, and then so you give the teams these assignments, but if they lack the right tools, if they lack the right process, uh, if they don't know how to set up a project in an agile way, if they're still planning in a waterfall way, if they don't know how to engage diverse stakeholders and, and you know, work it from a human-centered perspective and really understand what the problem is, what the customer need is, where the value is that they, they could potentially drive, where the opportunity is, et cetera. And if they don't know how to iterate and prototype and test a concept, then the risk is that you have these teams that execute poorly. And then you have uh, leadership that loses confidence in this whole, uh, this whole initiative and, uh, and you, you, could, you could have a real setback. So I, I, wanna, I want to explore that question on how do you um, reduce the risk that teams will fail when given the chance? And, and so Ira talked about passion, engagement, communication as three elements that can help set up a team to, to, to have success in this area. There is a question from the audience around sort of, I think, challenging my notion of failure, um, the way I framed it. And, and of course, as we know in innovation, the, the, the notion of fail faster, of using, using um, uh, you know, small failures, small, small uh, agile failures as opposed to big failures. Asina, how are some ways that, that you guys um, have set up projects to allow for failure to, to sort of, and also to, to potentially uh, educate leadership as to the value of using projects as learning instruments, as opposed to always jumping to solutions and solving things right away. Yes, and I love what Art is just saying, fail quickly and adapt. And, and, and Galen is also correct on the chat that it is, it is a lean approach. And so just to kind of tie a few, few dots here, um, I, I think it is very important to have kind of diverse team. And when we, when we created these teams and we funded some of these teams, we also made sure that they have the right tools and the right um, support. And that was actually played quite a bit from my, my organization and my role. We would, you know, kind of guide them through the process, but that was my commitment to setting up that organization. But also from, you know, if it was a technology, from a chief technologist officer, if it was, you know, some kind of operations from an operations, you know, subject matter expert that can kind of guide the teams. But, but I think um, the key is what we are finding today that the, the lean canvas or the lean approach or the agile approach to software, those are the, the words that I think are working really well. The companies that embrace those seem to create a tremendous results. And the idea around innovation and creativity is around 
um, you know, rapid, rapid succession of ideas and, and, and testing that idea at each step of the way with the customer. Um, and, 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 and the organization being okay with that. Um, that's a very specific culture. And I think if we talk about innovation mindset, that's an innovation mindset of a culture that the failure is an option. The failure is desired, especially in this controlled kind of safe environment where there's not much money, not much resources at risk. It's not distracting for the rest of the organization. So you can almost kind of create a safe environment in which, uh, you know, people can fail. But but what I think it's even more important than failure is this idea of very quick testing with the consumers. There's so many companies who create these large innovation tanks, you know, or whether they're called uh, Phantom Works and Boeing, you know. I mean, there are large, large organizations with tremendous budgets and, and, and things like that, that that, you know, go off and create these incredible products. But not everybody can do that. Not every organization can do that. So how can we create small products and put it in front of the market? And, 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 and a much harder part is when people's willingness to then take that idea and take it outside, take it to the customer. They, they think somebody is going to steal their idea. There's this you know, fear that, uh, that, that somebody is going to copy our idea and we're going to lose this great idea. But in reality, that happens very rarely is, is in my perspective. And, and the greatest companies who they, they, they constantly innovate. They're not afraid somebody's going to steal their idea because by the time they do it, they've moved on to something else. Mm -hmm. Right. And so because they are used to this rapid innovation, rapid prototyping, rapid new ideas. And I think that is the key, not be afraid to just go out there with your idea and really test it and test it well. And then, you know, improve on it quickly and kind of stay ahead of it. And by staying ahead of it, um, you're always staying relevant. So, you know, we see that example with Amazon, of course, they do that really well. We see it with Google. Um, it almost seems like a lot of those companies are not afraid to, to put out their uh, open code or open source software and things like that. And you think, wow, you know, they're giving us all this IP. Um, yes, they are protecting their key IP. But they realize there's so much out there, so many ideas out there that are actually much better if they're implemented faster, tested faster, and, and you know, you grab the market by the storm and you move on. So, um, so I think I would encourage the companies to both instill this, uh, you know, failure is an option, fail fast, fail forward, uh, and test, 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 you know, ask continuously, how can I make this better? Get out there with your idea because the more people looking at it, the better you will be in, in creating something valuable. In a technology context, you know, we talk about Amazon and, and Google, their whole business and culture was built up around a more lean, agile approach, a product development approach. A lot of more traditional organizations, though, banks, insurance companies, um, I don't know, real estate companies, education organizations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, they were all around, they've been around for a long time, and, and they are really struggling to adapt and to change. And, and Guylin, I'm wondering, do you, what, do you have any thoughts or, or stories that, that help, um, might help us understand, you know, what, what can these more traditional kind of legacy organizations do um, in, in their context? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a big question. I think um, I always talk about this concept of crossing the chasm, not my words, but um, 
a lot of those traditional organizations will have a very nice fancy innovation hub and if you're lucky enough you might get a visit to the innovation hub where they have the special coffee and you can have special food there <laughs> and that's where all the fancy stuff is happening when you go back into the mainframe of the organization um, things are not operating with any kind of innovation mindset at all and it's still quite a traditional approach um, and I think there's a big chasm that's developing sort of between the innovation hub and hero um, and getting across the chasm to the other side to kind of thrive in a, in a world which needs to be more, you know, responsive, innovative, um, agile. And I think some big legacy organizations are going to slip into that chasm and they may never get out. Um, I kind of think that we do have some very some very um, practical tools that we can start using in organizations to try and seed that innovation as usual culture. Um, but again, it's directed by strategic intent. Um, it's directed by having what um, Singularity University talks to the exponential organization, the massive transformative purpose. Uh, you know, Viktor Frankl said, if a, a man who has a why can bear almost any how, I think there's a lot of change to happen, but if there's a clear purpose around that, then it's easier to strap up your boots and, and get going on it. Um, some of the more practical tools I mentioned, the GC index, we've got stuff like um, using methods like uh, Lego Serious Play. Um, and um, there's a new game called Playing Lean, which teaches lean startup principles in 90 minutes to teams. Um, we also talk about um, this idea of exp exponential ideas, so idea spark ideas. Uh, some of the most successful people spend a lot of time with people who are not like them, listening to different perspectives. I think we've got to find ways of integrating all of these small things into our organizations, into the mainframes of our organizations, and those are beyond the innovation hubs, um, beyond those specialist functions that are working on R&D, et cetera. We've got to find ways of in integrating that in micro elements into part of what we do every day at work. Um, and I think that will be a big challenge, um, but we've got lots of practical tools. So I think that will be, uh, needs to be a focus for these legacy organizations who want to move forward. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, there, I think that, some of the tools work really well, you know, like a Lego serious play where there's that, I guess innovation mindset is a good, is a good frame around that. It's, it's, you know, what does it feel like to play? What does it feel like to experiment? What does it feel like to iterate and to prototype? And I think that is important. Absolutely. The challenge though is to scale from that into projects, you know, to, to go from playing for a couple hours with some of your colleagues, and then, and then you go back to your job and you have all these obstacles in place. You have, you have incentive structures that, that, that incentivize the old behaviors. You have technologies that, you know, whether it's um, you can't use Google Docs or you can't use, you know, contemporary, you know, technologies for, for working that enable this kind of work, et cetera. So you have all these structures in place that are, are really barriers to people doing this work. And so I, I think, you know, that, that is such a huge challenge. You know, if you're looking at it at the broader picture, I mean, you've got to have strategic intention. You've got to focus on creating the culture that enables people. You've got to make sure that you've got customer centric processes and you understand the problems and challenges that you're trying to solve. You've got to have leaders that need to um, really be committed to it. 
um, what gets measured gets done. So then you need to look at your reward systems. It's a, uh, there's, um, there's a lot, I think, to do to help a, a, a large organization to transition to a different state. And it's not a small task. Um, also this idea of, you know, it's like politics, politicians are in power for four years and then they change. So we kind of need, uh, uh to try and extend our thinking from quite short term thinking to something that's longer term that looks at solutions that might have a five, six, seven year focus, uh, which sounds like a long time, but just a broader focus, which is longer and more meaningful, um, rather than a short term you know, let's invent something new and do something different quickly and get it to market quickly. And then we've got something new. Or let's maximize a profit in an area and change something. It's got to be a longer term, more sustainable, more meaningful, deeper kind of impact. Um, yeah. So, and these, these are big things to address in organizations um, at many, many levels. I mean, how do you build a safe to fail culture in an organization where you can't put a red light on a traffic report lighting system for a steerco meeting at a project and you say oh here's my report and they said there's a red on that and they say are you joking you can't take that into steerco <laughs> you know what i mean there's a whole this happens at many 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 levels and i think in some ways we have to find small little bits where we change culture through using different tools and trying to grow mindsets you know the growth mindset that carol dweck talks about um, those things have to become more part of what we do, you know, the way things get done, not just not just in certain teams or in hubs, but across organizations in order to really affect some real change. Uh, also, the other one I was just going to say is that sometimes we try and bring new blood into the organization to bring these new ideas or new thinking. And sometimes we have kind of mavericks in the organization that just are not speaking up because they're not, they don't have a space to do that. So we also need to look at how we create voice for people in organizations and that taps back into this flow at work concept and people feeling energized and contributing value according to how they want to contribute. Um, yeah, so lots of stuff. <laughs> Asina, um, one of the comments that, that Galen made um, was this, this chasm between the where the innovation is happening and the sort of the mainframe, you know, the rest of the organization. And, and you talked about, sort of giving certain teams and certain pockets of the organization incentive and, and you know, tools to, to do this work. But what are you seeing, let's say, in, in, in connecting that and integrating that into the, the main body of the organization? Or, or are, are you seeing that? And if so, please share some, some stories. Or yeah, a few thoughts, uh, actually. Uh, on that one specifically, you know, having been with two very large organizations, uh, you know, Adidas and Boeing, they do have centers. They do have dedicated centers for, for large innovations, whether it's Phantom Works or it's, it's in Adidas, it's called Futures. Um, and, and the chasm that Galen talk about is very real uh, because there, there's these true, you know, true innovative and truly creative subject matter expertise that are coming out with these moonshots and these 10x ideas that somehow they need to be put in practice. Um, and, and we're finding very frequently that, um, that that gap between, you know, they're looking 10 to 20 years in the future and the business is going one to three in the future. What's happening in that three to five? If it's, you know, manufacturing innovation, how do we get our suppliers on board? If it's technology, you know, how do we get our partners? Uh, regardless of which innovation they're talking about, there is the chasm. Um, 
you know, in that particular instance, I've seen uh, cases where there is an organization that actually bridges these two. <laughs> There's this emergence now of the organizations whose span is three to five to three to seven years. And their focus is bridging the innovation from this high level concept ideas into, you know, into the business where they are working with the business unit to kind of conceptualize it. And it's a whole other different set of skills and, and approaches and that the, that team needs to have um, in order to, to, to serve as that bridge. You know, that's, for example, one of the examples of how it's done in Adidas. Um, but um, but I, I did read comments that, you know, we should not kid ourselves. It is not easy to drive innovation in large companies. And it's best if it comes from top. Then it's problem solved because, like Galen mentioned, it will be measured, it will be incentivized, it will be monitored. Uh, and that goes back to, is the organization clear what they're trying to solve? What kind of problem? Where is their strategy taking them? And so if they're, if they're good in articulating their problem, the people will rise to the occasion, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, more practical for those mere mortals of us, if we're not in that position, um, I, I think innovation should not be in any organization done just for innovation's sakes. We should be focused on what are the problems that the broader organization is trying to solve. And my advice, you know, what has worked with me when the employees would come and they would say, hey, hey, I know the organization is struggling with this. Oh, I know you care about that leader X, Y, Z. Here's an idea that's going to help you improve, you know, this X time, Y times. And, and, and put it back on the leaders in terms of what do they care about and how do we solve their problems. And then, you know, if we have their support, we will have their support to remove the antibodies that come with innovation. If we don't, we might as well, you know, focus our energies elsewhere because it's very hard for a single individual to change the culture of an organization if it's not coming from the top. But maybe that's a little practical advice for you know those of you who are struggling and and are frustrated that maybe your voices are not being heard uh, through the bureaucracy of the larger organizations as to how you can at least try to approach this. Yeah, and in a moment we're gonna we've got one more question to get through. Then we're gonna invite Joe and Kate in into our call to to ask a question. But um, you know, Asina, you you mentioned that if it comes from the top, then the the problem is solved. And you know, I, I think there there is there is certainly value in having the senior leadership in, on board. They they need to be on board because they need to create space. However, what we've found is that senior leaders are not trained to be innovation leaders. They're, they're trained to operationalize. They're trained to deliver things on time on budgets. They're trained to in marketing and you know technology, etc. They they have skill sets often within a vertical. Innovation work, I would argue, is its own vertical in a sense. It's its own craft. It, it, you, know, you have to learn how to test, how to iterate, how to refine, how to budget things. How to, it's a whole different ball game. And so what we're seeing is that, that leaders need to learn that. And often when, when you leave it to leaders to establish innovation infrastructures, often it's done in such a way that, you know, they're, they're, let me put it this way, there's a learning curve. Uh, and it takes a while to, to get it right. Ira, let's, we're going to yeah, give your audience. I would agree. Let me, let me yeah. clarify that. I, I agree. I think the problem is really not solved. I apologize if I said that. It's easier. It becomes slightly easier because the focus is there, but you're absolutely right. Then the hard part of doing it really starts. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I have one last question before we open up to our, our 
panelists, or sorry, our, our participants to ask a question. And that's going back to this ethical issue around innovation. And, and you know, we've talked a bit about some of the mechanics and some of the challenges within organizations, but, but what should we be in, innovating on? And, and, and why is it important that we develop this, this, this ability? And, and you know, I, Galen is sitting in South Africa right now where Cape Town is a city facing a major water crisis. And, and you know, all over the world, there's, there's many, many challenging uh, and complex issues to address. Should we be, you know, in that context, what should we be spending our energy doing? And Ira, I want to, I want to throw this question at you to to take a stab at it. Sure, um, Greg. There's a, a lot that can be done pertaining to the issues that are taking place all around the world, and and ethics is at the forefront of all of them. And uh, going back to what Estina was saying, is that if leadership takes place at the top where there's innovation, I, I do agree that um, an organization can really move forward rapidly in bringing innovative solutions uh, to the forefront. Um, some of those, for example, from an ethical standpoint, uh, have to do with water, as you were mentioning in South Africa, where there's a, a major water crisis. But uh, years ago, I heard of a company called Walker Water that literally has a net using bamboo that collects the moisture in the air, and that mm. water is able to provide uh, resources for that village. And all you need to do is scale up the amount of Walker Waters that you have. And anybody can Google it, purchase them, put it together. It's very easy to put together. And you have a solution that really addresses water issues all around the world. One thing that I've noticed is that solutions and the answers are all around us. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And so, um, and so as water is an issue, there's water all, over, all around us in the air. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And so, um, and so similarly speaking, you know, that, that's what, you know, really leadership should drive towards. And it, it really does, I do agree with Asina, it really does make it easier if that innovation uh, does come from the top and that innovation mindset. It's rare, uh, which is why oftentimes an entrepreneurial organization can move more rapidly than a very large organization that, you know, really can um, fall into a, a mundane mindset. Um, an entrepreneurial uh, enterprise that's just starting off can't afford that. You have to be innovative. You have to be um, entrepreneurial. You have to um, take risks. And uh, I made a statement earlier on the chat that uh, in order to succeed, you have to be willing to risk things, even, you know, uh, sometimes capital, uh, sometimes um, ideas as to whether they might succeed or fail. Of course, you have your risk mitigation strategies. But, uh, but the answers are all around us, answers pertaining to water, answers pertaining to energy, and there's a lot of ethical uh, concerns uh, about a lot of the developments that are taking place uh, that we really can probably don't have time to touch on today in this, in this conversation. Uh, but ethics does have a vital role because we want to leave our world when we leave it better than it was when we arrived, and that, that takes teamwork from an ethical mindset. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're missing Olivia Ramos from this conversation. She was our panelist who is sick. She's in artificial intelligence. And, 
certainly the ethic, ethical question there applies in a huge way. Uh, eyes on the clock, we're right about six minutes to the hour here. Wanted to invite Kate and Joe, uh, who have bravely decided to put on their headsets and join us in the call. Uh, sure, I more have a comment because you guys have uh, basically answered the question <laughs> that I have, but I think we could maybe start a discussion around it. Um, so I'm in a position where, you know, it's not a very technical position. So in the company that I work for, innovation is typically focused around our engineering products. And so I have found ways, you know, within my job and my position to try to grow my innovation mindset. And, you know, unfortunately, that ends up being me being involved in communities like, like this and other types of things. But trying, and I try to translate those ideas back into the company and my team, and, you know, they're receptive. But from an individual perspective, for people that are not working in, I guess, these innovation, what is typically considered innovation areas, what would be one thing that an individual could do um, to kind of grow their own in, um, innovation mindset? This the thought's just going through my mind about um, a kind of an exponential um, imagination, and it's this idea of ideas spark ideas. Um, there's just so much stuff out there, um, like this platform, uh, TED. Um, there's just so many. There's MOOCs, you know, massive online open courses. Um, I was just looking at um, Peter Diamandis has launched something called A360.digital. Um, and that's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's just allowing people to liberate their crazy ideas. Uh, there's a curriculum on there. There's a, there's all sorts of stuff. It's like a membership based thing. Go and check it out. It's just, there's actually so much out there. And I think this is one of the things that we keep saying to people is that, in years gone past, there was choice, but there wasn't really that much choice. And now there's so many other options out there. And I think to, to go and explore them and connect with people and try and think about what your why is, you know, Simon Sinek start with why stuff, you know, what's the why for you? Um, the more you engage, the more you find people who connect and resonate and other opportunities open up, give you new ideas, ideas spark ideas. So, um, spend time with different people, people who are not like you, people who think differently. Um, yeah, make sense of that stuff and pull it together and different, different paths emerge. <laughs> not an easy answer to it, but, but there's a lot of stuff out there to, yeah, um, yeah, a lot of connection points. Um, yeah. yeah, I would just add um, that, you know, innovation is a craft, it's a muscle, and you have to practice it. So, so there's this sort of inspiration piece that Gaylin was talking about, which can initiate and spark thinking and spark ideas. And then there's actually doing the work and, and you know, perhaps gathering with your team, starting small, um, maybe bringing in a coach or, or, or someone who can help kind of shape the process a little bit, guide a little bit, and just starting to do the work. Uh, but we'll, we'll, I wanted to bring it to Joe. Thanks for your question, Kate. Joe, what, what, what question or comment do you have for us? Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Joe from South Africa also. 
Um, I wanted to ask you guys, um, in the health sector, how do you nav navigate uh, with the stagnant regulatories in, or regulations in healthcare to actually innovate? Because, I mean, uh, I've been engaged with a lot of guys, you know, uh, outside the country with regards to innovation. And in the past three years, I've read, you know, multiple articles and healthcare, when I look within all the sectors or in the, all the industries, it's actually being left behind. And because of, you know, regulations, it's not easy to penetrate or to actually uh, innovate in healthcare. And the risks that are there within, the health, within healthcare actually become an a, an inhibition for, for innovation to penetrate. So how do you convince, you know, uh, policymakers to actually uh, align themselves with, you know, the fourth uh, industrial German, uh, revolution so that healthcare doesn't be become left behind on the progression that innovation is bringing into society? We're going to go five minutes past the hour, so we have a chance to respond to Joe's question and offer some closing remarks quickly. Anyone want to talk about uh, healthcare, health sector innovation? Any perspectives, Kaylin or Ira? Ira, do you want to jump in? Sure, absolutely. Thank you for your question, Joe. And um, you're right, it does take a, a certain level of diplomacy in order to uh, talk with policymakers regarding uh, innovations in healthcare. Uh, personally speaking, I think it's an opportunity for individuals to exercise creativity, just as Galen was talking about pertaining to, for example, Dr. Peter Diamandis's uh, program, and find ways to find solutions to their own personal health rather than um, translating that responsibility of personal health onto people that may not love or care about you. Um, I think the best health care is for a person to take care of one's own health. They can do so in very innovative ways pertaining to nutrition, diet, and exercise. And uh, there's many ways to do that that can be innovative relative to the ideas that each person has. Um, Hippocrates, uh, the Hippocratic oath is named after, uh, made a famous statement. He said, um, let thy food be thy medicine, and thy medicine be thy food. Basically, everything is in the nutrients provided in food to boost our immune systems to provide uh, health care. Now, there's things like injuries that, of course, require uh, medical care. But um, we all can take innovative opportunities to increase and boost our health care rather than being dependent on uh, different environments and people who may not love or care about us. Absolutely. I think the pre preventative approaches are, are really important. And, and Joe, we, we've also been playing with participatory uh, innovation within the healthcare where we get doctors, nurses, administrators, uh, patient advisors or family advisors, uh, and other care workers together on a project over time. Let's say if it's on infection reduction, for example, 
So we, we set up these little teams that are cross-functional and they work together over time to develop their own solutions. And once a month or so, this group comes together, they generate their own um, uh, their own uh, things that they're going to prototype or test and then they go off and try things and they come back and they regroup and, um, and, and learn from that and iterate and refine and there's a facilitator or a coach in with the group to guide this. They come in once a month over a period of let's say 18 months and they guide this process over time and it, we try to break down some of the hierarchical barriers where, where sort of everyone uh, no, no one will speak out against doctors. You know, everyone, you know, completely honors the word of the doctor. Where, of course, doctors have their own role to play in the system to improve things. So there's, I think there's, there's, there's definitely mechanisms from, you, you know, from from within the system to try to get change processes going and sort of initiate grassroots kind of cross-functional initiatives. And then there's the sort of service design layer where people are experimenting with, with plugging in new kinds of services. Eyes on the clock, I, you know, we've got a couple minutes to go. Obviously, within any of these questions, we could spend an hour talking, so I apologize for, for cutting some of these short. There's, there's some good comments coming in in the chat. Um, liberating structures is, is one thing that was pointed to, and we'll put some more resources in the Etherpad document. Let's just go around to our panelists to offer a very brief closing comment. Anything you've learned, anything you want to share back with our audience before we, we let them get back to their day or night or morning, depending on where they are. Asina, let's, let's start with you. Well, I would just uh, close on a light note and I just sent a text message. I was just looking when Kate asked the question about uh, innovation and I, I was given this book uh, and it's called How to Get, Have uh, Great Ideas. And like I said, my 10 year old looked at it and said, I don't need a book to tell me how to great ideas. I already have a ton of them. So, uh, so I think, uh, you know, that's how children think. And somehow as we grow up, we, we put all these constraints on ourselves and we think we've lost some of that spark and creativity and maybe we have. So I guess we just need to become our 10 year old selves and uh, go out there and uh, create things, innovate, you know, just uh, be brave and uh, have fun. That's my hey. closing. <laughs> Thanks, Asina. Galen. I'm just thinking of the, uh, what Carol Dweck says again. She says, if we can shift from a, a fixed to a growth mindset, it can dramatically alter our success over time. Um, and I think developing this kind of innovative or growth mindset and realizing what we can push in terms of innovation from our own standpoint, um, like Ira was saying, like the power of, it's like this reverse innovation piece. It's like what you can innovate yourself. So you don't think healthcare companies are looking after us and maybe they don't care, maybe they do, but you care. So let's change something and do something about it. And that's really inspiring. So um, it's like Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So yeah, that's just inspirational. And I think we should all take up the charge to personally innovate within our context. Ira. Maybe a few, 110 years, but um, let, let's find ways to have fun, engage, help people, and be independent, critical thinkers on how mm. we can innovate. And uh, sometimes innovation can stifle innovation. You know, sometimes some solutions can be projected that, you know, really disincentivize people to be uh, innovative. But um, back to what Galen just mentioned, let's inspire innovation. 
let's let the innovative work that we're doing inspire others to be likewise innovators. Kate. Oh, you're putting me on the spot again. I'm sorry. I was adding a resource to the like. Oh, sure. the, the panel. <laughs> no, I mean, I just want to thank everyone. This is a uh, um, this was great and inspiring, and you know, I think from a perspective of someone who's you know trying to rock the boat, that you know, it's good to know that there's other people out there doing the same thing. Thank you, Joe. Joe, you're on mute. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think um, for me, it will be to continue, you know, thinking differently and trying to find solutions uh, because I'm, my focus is in healthcare uh, so that healthcare becomes more accessible to, to those who don't access it. And I mean, also building the behavior of self-health. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the basic. Excellent, and and I will just repeat the, the 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 thing I mentioned earlier that I think innovation is a muscle. It's it's a craft. It, it you just need to it needs to be practiced. It it it, it um, I think often people expect it to come quickly, either individually or organizationally, and uh, it's a journey. And and we need to keep at it, keep learning just like learning anything, it takes some time. So I wanna thank all of our panelists for extraordinary participation and, and energy, uh, and all of our participants, all of our, um, our audience for great questions in the chat and for, for listening out there, wherever you are in the world. Wish all of you uh, well with your innovation adventures, uh, and I look forward to seeing you again here on the Connectal Network or elsewhere sometime again soon. So thanks everyone for participating.